0: Leviticus chapter 14 And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 2. This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. So now in this chapter, we're going to talk about what happens when the leper is cleansed. 3. And the priest shall go forth out of the camp. And the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper. 4. Then shall the priest command to take for him, that is, to be cleansed, two living clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. It's neat that that God commands the priest to go visit the leper because the leper isn't allowed in the camp. God sends the priest to the leper, which again is really kind because God could say, well, the leper can't go back. Therefore, he can never see the priest again. Therefore, he's just stuck. But God doesn't do that. And Jesus meets us where we are to minister to us. God is commanding the priest to do that with a leper. If the leper is pronounced clean, then he has to take two living birds plus cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop. Now the hyssop is a bitter herb, and that represents Jesus' death on the cross, which was sorrowful and bitter. The scarlet is a, scarlet, a red cloth, and that represents the blood of Jesus on the cross. The cedar wood represents the cross itself that Jesus had to bear. It's all a picture of Jesus on the cross. Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. He was beaten before he went on the cross. I think it's Isaiah that also says that he carried our sorrows on the cross with him. All of the pain of being a leper is showing us that what Jesus did on the cross, he did to heal the leper, and it was greater suffering than what the leper has suffered. Our High Priest, Eternal, who has suffered more than us, is able to cleanse and heal us. In the last chapter, it said that when you're pronounced unclean as a leper, before you leave the community, you have to rip your clothes. And ripping the clothes is an ancient sign of mourning. It's all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. People would rip their clothes whenever they were sad. It's appropriate to mourn when you have good reason. If you are being harmed in any way, it's appropriate to cry out to God and to mourn. Jesus cried. He mourned before he went on the cross when he was praying in Gethsemane. Job mourned when Job lost everything and was covered in disease. The only thing that's a sin is if in our mourning, then we feel envy, unforgiveness, jealousy, and things like that. That stuff is sin. But mourning itself is not a sin. You'll notice that when Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil ripped in two. And the veil was what covered or shielded the Ark of the Testimony from the rest of the sanctuary. It's like our clothes cover us, and the veil was covering the Ark of the Testimony, where the Ark used to be. But it was like God ripping his garment in grief when Jesus died, and that's what you see in the New Testament. Five, and the priest shall command to kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. He's going to, I think, wring its neck over running water. Now the water represents the Holy Spirit. Six, as for the living bird, he shall take it and the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and shall dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. The bird is killed over a bowl. The priest snaps its head off. The blood drips into the bowl. And then you take the bird that's still alive with the hyssop and the scarlet and you dip it in the blood of the dead bird. This is kind of similar to the scapegoat and the sacrificial goat because one animal dies and one animal is let free, but they're let free away from the community. And Jesus was born and he died both outside the cities. He was born outside of Bethlehem, he died outside of Jerusalem. And it shows that he was just too good for this world. And so the second bird that escapes is like the bird that's exiled. Seven, and he shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times and shall pronounce him clean and shall let go the living bird into the open field. The priest will take the living bird that's been dipped in the blood of the dead bird and the water. The blood represents the blood of Jesus. The water represents the Holy Spirit. And then he will sprinkle, use the bird kind of as a sprinkling instrument and shake kind of shake the bird toward the man that that had leprosy and sprinkle him with this blood water and the essence of the hyssop and then he lets the living bird go free eight and he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean and after that he may come into the camp but shall dwell outside his tent seven days. Just to make extra sure that he doesn't bring any disease that may still be on his person, he washes his body, shaves his hair, and washes his clothes. And then just to be extra sure, he doesn't go inside his home for another seven days, but he can hang out in the camp. When he finally enters his home, he'll be 100% perfectly clean. He won't infect anybody else. 9. And it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head, and his beard, and his eyebrows, even all his hair he shall shave off. And he shall wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his flesh in water, and he shall be clean. He shaves a second time, because in that seven days there will be more growth. After the seven days of waiting, he shaves again, he washes again. And then ten, and on the eighth day he shall take two he lambs without blemish, two male lambs, and one ewe lamb, one female, of the first year without blemish, and three tenth parts of an ephah of fine flour for a meal offering, mingled with oil and one log of oil flour, oil, and the three lambs. Two males, one female. The female is worth more money because it can give birth, so it's more precious. So there's only one female and two males. But this is a pretty big offering for one person, but it's because his life has been altered dramatically. Now instead of being exiled out of the camp, he's now welcomed back into the community. So this is a huge celebration and he has a lot to be thankful for. So that's why this offering is kind of big. The Lord has done a great thing for him. Why is a lamb one year? And I think that's because it's still young, but it's fully weaned, and its mother has had all the benefit of raising it for a year. That's important to a mother. God loves mothers, even mother animals. It's heart-wrenching for a mother to lose a baby or a very young child. And at this point, when the lamb is a year old, it won't break the mother's heart quite as much to have the lamb removed from her. 11. And the priest that cleanseth him shall set the man that is to be cleansed and those things before the Lord at the door of the tent of meeting. This is a loving gesture. The priest is placing the man. It doesn't mean that he's picking him up, but it means he's in charge of him. The priest is taking care of the man to make sure that he is presented before the Lord with all of these offerings. 12. And the priest shall take one of the he lambs and offer him for a guilt offering and the log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. The guilt offering is going to get burnt partially for the Lord, and then the priests will eat the part that the priest is allowed to have. And then the wave offering will get waved before the Lord as a dedication, but the priest will also get to eat it. The priest gets to eat because he performed this service. That's his food for the day. 13 And he shall kill the he lamb in the place where they kill the sin offering, and the burnt offering, in the place of the sanctuary. For as the sin offering is the priest's, so is the guilt offering. It is most holy. The only offering where God gets all of it is the burnt offering, which means that you're dedicated to the Lord. But with the sin and the guilt offering, the Levites get part of it. God wants our complete dedication. But when it comes to sin and guilt, he more easily forgives. He loves to forgive. It shows you how much God absolutely loves to forgive. And how in his eyes, it's a greater sacrifice to give your whole life to him than to simply be forgiven for one sin. Or two sins or three sins, whatever it is. We can't go to heaven without forgiveness. But still, complete devotion, dedication to God is at a higher level. Because it's just not like I'm going to sin today, ask for forgiveness, and then I'll sin tomorrow. Complete dedication means I'm not only going to ask for forgiveness for what I've already sinned, but tomorrow I plan on not sinning. Tomorrow, I'm still going to be with you, Lord. I'm not going to go back to my sin. And that means more to God than simply asking for forgiveness for your past sins. Now remember, the guilt offering is for any sin that the man committed against his neighbors. And the sin offering is for sins that he committed against God. 14. And the priest shall take of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot this is done when the priest himself is when he's sanctified and consecrated for the lord now this man who was a leper who's now healed is also getting sanctified and consecrated for the lord so it really shows you where the heart of god is his heart is in us being 100 percent his all in not one foot in and one foot out, but completely his. And that's why God said that David was after God's own heart. Because David was all in. He did fall into sin a couple of times. But overall, over the spans of his life, he was fully dedicated to God, except for that time when he fell. He didn't stay in his sin. Once he repented, he repented full-fledged, and then he got back on the path with the Lord. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want us to take sin casually and think, oh, it's no big deal. God's going to forgive me. He wants us to be all in and just totally devoted to him. 15. And the priest shall take of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. Log is a type of measurement. The priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and shall sprinkle of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. He's not sprinkling the oil at the the former leper. He's actually sprinkling the oil um, toward the Lord. I'm not sure if this is toward the door of the tabernacle or toward the altar. 17. And of the rest of the oil that is in his hand shall the priest... Put upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot, upon the blood of the guilt offering. Right represents Jesus, who is the right hand of God. So that's why it goes on the right. And Jesus is on his Father's right side. On top of the blood that's put on the ear, the thumb, and the toe goes over that the oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. 19. And the priest shall offer the sin offering, and make atonement for him that is to be cleansed because of his uncleanness, and afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. This seems to show that you could get a disease as a result of sin, but everyone's guilty of sin anyway. Even if our sin did not cause our disease, we're still guilty, but it does show that some diseases are caused from sin. 20. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the meal offering upon the altar. And the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. There's actually four animals here. There's three lambs and one bird. The female lamb is going to be the burnt offering and the flour and the oil that the man brought is going to be the meal offering. Twenty-one, and if he be poor and his means suffice not, then he shall take one he-lamb for a guilt offering to be waived to make atonement for him, and one-tenth part of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a mill offering and a log of oil. It's only going to be one lamb instead of three. Twenty-two, and two turtle doves or two young pigeons such as his means suffice for, and the one shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. Again, the greater offering is for consecration and the lesser offerings are for sin. One lamb, the oil, the flour, and two birds. 23, and on the eighth day, he shall bring them for his cleansing unto the priest, unto the door of the tent of meeting before the Lord. 24, and the priest shall take the lamb of the guilt offering and the log of oil, and the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. 25, and he shall kill the lamb of the guilt offering, and the priest shall take of the blood of the guilt offering and put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. 26, and the priest shall pour of the oil into the palm of his own left hand 27 and the priest shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand 7 times before the Lord. This sounds like a repeat but it's really not. It's saying this is what you do in the poor man's offering, which is pretty much the same thing that you do in the richer man's offering. But You know how explicit God is. He never allows us to misunderstand or misinterpret him. He gives explicit instructions in both cases. Even though most of those instructions are going to match, he still makes sure that we don't misunderstand. I love that about God, that he is always explicit in his instructions. I think that's so wonderful because a lot of people aren't. They expect you to read between the lines and I personally have a really hard time reading between the lines. I'm very literal and I really love it when people are straight and direct and they say it like it is. And I love this about God that he's straight, direct, he says it like it is and he doesn't leave any chance of us mistakenly offending him. 28. And the priest shall put of the oil that is in his hand upon the tip of his right ear of him that is to be cleansed and upon the thumb of his right hand and upon the great toe of his right foot upon the place of the blood of the guilt offering. 29. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand he shall put upon the head of him that is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. I love that too. That is so beautiful. Imagine the priest and this is resembling Jesus. This is how Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit symbolically, you know. He puts it on the right ear, the right thumb, and the right toe to show that you will be his right-hand man, just as he is on the right hand of the Father. Then, he takes the leftover oil that that's in his palm, which is a good amount of oil. That's probably at least a tablespoonful. And he just lays his palm over the top of your head, crowning you. With the oil of the Holy Spirit. And so in the Spirit, that's what Jesus is doing with us. When he consecrates us for his work and to follow him. Can you imagine the, the, the beauty of it? That Jesus has laid the Holy Spirit right on your head like a crown. Like an anointing oil. Just like Moses anointed Aaron. 30. And he shall offer one of the turtle doves, or of the young pigeons, such as his means suffice for. 31. Even such as his means suffice for, the one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering, with a mill offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him that is to be cleansed before the Lord. 32. This is the law of him in whom is the plague of leprosy, whose means suffice not for that which pertaineth to his cleansing. First he says, this is the regular law for cleansing from leprosy. Then he says, this is the law for the poor man who is getting cleansed of leprosy. And then he ends it with the bookend, what you just heard was the law for the poor man who gets cleansed of leprosy. Again, it keeps you from any misunderstanding what 33, and the Lord spoke unto Moses and unto Aaron saying, 34, when ye are come into the land of Canaan, which I give to you for a possession, and I put the plague of leprosy in a house of the land of your possession. Now it's talking about in the future, they're going to take be taking over Canaan because they're going to fight battles. They're going to kill the pagan people and take over their cities. They're going to divvy up houses in these cities for the Israelites. So when they take over these houses, if any of these houses has a plague in it, this is what they're going to do. 35, then he that owneth the house Shall come and tell the priest, saying, There seemeth to me to be as it were a plague in the house. 36. And the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest go in to see the plague, that all that is in the house be not made unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in to see the house. The priest is going to say, Take everything out. Because once the priest enters and looks at the house, if he pronounces it unclean, then everything in it is also unclean. That's why they need to haul everything out first to make sure that they're not losing all of their possessions in one day. 37. And he shall look on the plague, and behold, if the plague be in the walls of the house with hollow streaks, greenish or reddish, and the appearance thereof be lower than the wall, if it's red, green, and it's a deeper inset than the wall, 38. Then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house, and shut up the house seven days. It'll be kind of like quarantined, kind of like they put the tape over a crime scene, and no one can enter. 39. And the priest shall come again the seventh day, and shall look, and behold, if the plague be spread in the walls of the house. 40. Then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which the plague is, and cast them into an unclean place without the city. If he comes back in seven days, and it's spreaded, then they really need to remove those stones, and make a hole in the wall if they have to, and then those stones get removed to an unclean place outside the city that everybody knows those are where the dirty stones are. Don't let your children play there. Forty one, and he shall cause the house to be scraped within roundabout, and they shall pour out the mortar that they scrape off without the city into a clean place. They're gonna scrape off the all the mortar that was on the inside. Forty two, and they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other mortar and shall plaster the house. So it's gonna get New stones where the old stones were removed, and it's going to get brand new plastering everywhere. 43. And if the plague come again and break out in the house, after that the stones have been taken out, and after the house hath been scraped, and after it is plastered. 44. Then the priest shall come in and look, and behold, if the plague be spread in the house, it is a malignant leprosy in the house, it is unclean. If after all of that cleansing ritual, it still has the plague, then this plague doesn't want to go. So this house is definitely a total loss. 45. And he shall break down the house, the stones of it and the timber thereof, and all the mortar of the house, and he shall carry them forth out of the city into an unclean place. 46. Moreover, he that goeth into the house all the while that it is shut up shall be unclean until the even. The workers who go in to remove the stones and those who go in to scrape the house and those who go in to replaster it, as well as those who tear it totally down once it's pronounced a total loss, all of those people are unclean until evening after they have worked on the house. They have to wash their clothes, and they're unclean. 47. And he that lieth in the house shall wash his clothes, and he that eateth in the house shall wash his clothes. I guess if while they're working, they had to stop for lunch, or they had to take a nap, whatever. 48. And if the priest shall come in and look, and behold, the plague hath not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, because the plague is healed. 49. And he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, and cedar wood, and scarlet, and hyssop. This is the same thing required to clean the leper. Two birds, the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop. Representation of Jesus on the cross. The wood, the red cloth, which represents his blood, and the hyssop, which represents his sorrow and pain on the cross. 50. And he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. The water represents the Holy Spirit. He's pinching its head off, letting the blood drain into the vessel. Because I think without the water mixed with the blood, there isn't going to be enough liquid to dip the other bird in. Also remember that when Jesus, when his dead body was stabbed, when he was still on the cross by the Roman soldier, blood and water spilled out. And Jesus said that two of the witnesses of him are the blood and the water and we're baptized in water, and we're covered by the blood. Blood and water is a constant theme in the Bible. It represents two of the aspects of God. There's the Father, there's the water, which is the Holy Spirit, and there's the blood, which is Jesus Christ. 51. And he shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet and the living bird and dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water and sprinkle the house seven times. Now the house is getting sprinkled to get cleansed. 52. And he shall... Cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, and with the running water, and with the living bird, and with the cedar wood, and with the hyssop, and with the scarlet. You know, when pagans do rituals, there's no peace. There's anxiety, frenzy, and chaos because they're serving Satan. When witches and pagans do things, it's all in service to Satan. So the atmosphere is filled with anxiety, chaos, lust, hatred, and all of those horrible things. But when the priests perform these rituals that are in Leviticus and in Exodus, the presence of God is there, and there's a feeling of peace. I've been in the presence of God before, and it's like, you don't need to move. You don't need to say anything. You don't need to do anything. He's just there. And it's this feeling that you don't need anything. Because he's there. And you just stand there in silence and awe. And it feels good. And I'm not talking about goosebumps. I'm not talking about screaming and shouting. I'm not talking about writhing on the floor. I'm talking about just knowing, being still, and knowing that he is God. 53, but he shall let go the living bird out of the city into the open field. So shall he make atonement for the house and it shall be clean. The one bird escapes. 54. This is the law for all manner of plague of leprosy and for a skull. Because remember, some of those things were healed wounds that were skulls. Those people were clean if they had a skull. 55. And for the leprosy of a garment and for a house. 56. And for a rising and for a scab and for a bright spot. These are stages of leprosy, and of course, the scab would be when it's healed. 57, to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. And this is a law of love, to help the people stay as clean as possible, to help disease not spread once it's in the camp, to isolate it and keep it from spreading. And that concludes Leviticus chapter 14.